Jesus gives eternal life to all who believe in him, and no one will ever snatch them out of his hand. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Folks, it has been a tough couple of years here, hasn't it? Um, Well, I never would have thought, you know, just in in 2020 at March, remember how we were going to shut everything down for two weeks to slow the curve. Remember that? And then it just kind of went on and on, and we ended up shutting everything down for a while there and then coming back. And then just when we thought we were finally getting past it, we get hit again, and, and now now we're talking about another variant here, and so and we've been through a lot here, folks, haven't we? Uh, we've been through a lot here as as a as a as a, commun- as a nation, as a world, as a nation, uh, as a community. Uh, it has been hard, and uh, we've seen the effects of this not only physically on people in our community here, but also in some of the other ways. With uh, and we've seen it right here in Wonder Lake, as well as many other communities in our country of all of the uh, suicidal persons and drug overdoses. There have been many things, many effects of this in our community here. It's been hard as we've been trying to navigate our way through this. Uh, it's been difficult politically, hasn't it, with all of us with uh, the situation and, and different perspectives and opinions. And, and uh, boy, that, 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 anybody have a happy Thanksgiving, by the way? Yeah, okay, good, because we have much to be thankful for, don't we, as well? But uh, hopefully you managed to avoid political discussions at the, at the Thanksgiving dinner table. How many of you managed to avoid Thanksgiving uh, uh, political discussions? Okay, how many of you didn't manage to avoid that? Okay, all right, we have you there with that. So with COVID, the politics, the economic difficulties and so forth, it has really been a challenge, and people need hope. People need hope. Uh, we've had some grief here in our church family, haven't we? Uh, we've had to say goodbye for now uh, to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ here, including just Cindy this last Sunday here. People need hope. And so as we move into this celebration of the Christmas season here once again, this is going to be our theme here for our Christmas celebration this year, is hope, that hope is on the horizon. This is what I want us to take away from our series this Christmas, that hope is indeed on the horizon, that the incarnation, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has given all, all of us who believe in Christ, eternal hope. What is that hope? That hope is the certain promise of God, that he will give us all that he has promised. And here's just some of the highlights of what he's promised. Eternal life, perfect righteousness, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, and a new earth. And as we once again celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, let us then give thanks. Let us rejoice in God's great gift, and let us proclaim the good news everywhere. Let's give thanks, let's rejoice, and let's share that. Let's proclaim that good news everywhere then. I want to talk about, again, about hope, about biblical hope. 
Uh, if you have been coming to this church for longer than a year, you have probably heard me speak about biblical hope on a number of occasions and what hope means in the Bible and how it is different from how we ordinarily use that word hope in our everyday conversation, isn't it? When we use the word hope in our everyday conversation, it expresses a wish or a desire for something that may or may not happen. Right? We hope that our favorite team wins the game today. Uh, we hope that it doesn't rain next Saturday when we're doing a big outing somewhere. Right? Well, you know what? Your team may lose, and it may rain on Saturday. So hope just expresses a wish or a desire. There isn't any certainty to it. It may or may not happen. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't mean that at all. There is no uncertainty at all. See, in the Bible, hope is a sure and certain promise. Hope is something that is going to happen. And how do we know it's going to happen? Because it is backed up by the power and the character of God. See, we don't have any control over things. Actually, can you? There, there's not a whole lot of things that we have much control over at all, really, is there, in our lives. We don't have a lot of control over many things. But God, because He is sovereign and has all power, He has control over everything. If He has determined or promised something to happen, is there anything that can stop him or prevent that? Not a thing, right? And so if you make a promise, if I make a promise to you, or you make a promise to someone else, we may have every intention of doing that, right? You say, you know what, I'll see you at 5 o'clock. I will be there at 5 o'clock. I will meet you there at 5. Well, Life has a way of intervening in our best intentions and plans, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe I'm on the way to meet you at 5 o'clock and the car breaks down. Hopefully with the car I have now, that's not going to happen for a while. But with the car that I had until recently, there was a chance that might have happened, right? But it still, it could happen. Something could happen along the way. And despite my best intentions, I did not meet you at 5 o'clock. Or maybe I got sick and wasn't able to do that. So there may be any number of things that we may have the best intentions of fulfilling a promise to someone, but it may not happen for any number of reasons. And so if we make a promise to someone, that is dependent on all kinds of other things, isn't it? Well, when God makes a promise... He never has to worry about circumstances intervening. God's car never breaks down on the way to meet with you, right? Never happens. And so when God makes a promise, he has absolute power and control over all things to make it happen. But here's the other thing, too. Promises go to someone's character as well as ability, don't they? Someone may have the ability to do something, and they may promise you something, but really, in the end, their character is such that maybe they may not come through after all for you because their character is not always entirely trustworthy. Well, that is not ever an issue with God either, is it? That He is faithful and true. 
So when God makes a promise, he has the power and he has the character every time to follow through. So our hope are the promises, our biblical hope are the promises that God has made. And is there any chance that God's promise will not be fulfilled? No, not at all. So biblical hope is the sure and certain promise based on God's power and character that he will come through. And so our hope are the things that God has promised them to you, to me. So what is our hope? What is the blessed hope? Well, it's the coming that that Jesus has promised. He's coming again, right? And when he comes again, there are certain things that he's going to do. That God is not yet finished with his plan of redemption in your life and in this world, is he? He is going to complete everything that he has said he will do. And so there are many things that are a part of our hope in Christ. And so I thought for our Christmas season here then today, we are going to focus on those elements, some specific elements of our hope in Christ. And I pray that you will be encouraged through that this Christmas season. Specifically looking at eternal life, perfect righteousness, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, and a new earth. Now there are other things that God has promised, but these are pretty good ones right here, aren't they? These are some highlights here. The highlights of our hope in Christ. Eternal life, perfect righteousness, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, a new earth. As I said, we all need hope, don't we? We all need hope, something to hold on to, to cling to in difficulty and, and painful and dark times. Well, you know, last Sunday afternoon was a hard day. It was a hard day for one family in our church family. It was a hard day for our whole church family. When our sister, our beloved sister in Christ, Cindy, passed into glory. Now, this was not something that we were expecting. We all know, don't we? And we've all said it before, that we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know when the Lord is going to call us to himself. We're not promised tomorrow. We all know that we could die at any time. But we're not expecting it, are we? Even though we know it's going to happen one day for all of us until Jesus comes. Well, last Sunday was her day. She didn't know that. Her family didn't know that. We didn't know that. Now, it was a glorious thing for her. But it's a painful thing for those of us left behind, isn't it? Why? Because we'll miss her. We know that she is with the Lord. We rejoice in that. But it's still painful. Why? I was talking with someone who's saying, why is this so hard? I, I know she's with the Lord. I, I'm, I know she's rejoicing in his presence. I know that we're going to see her again. So why is it so hard? And I said, well, it's simple. Because you miss her. Because we miss her. That's why it's hard, isn't it? But isn't it wonderful to know she had hope and we have hope? You know, there was, uh, on that day, I had the privilege of being there with Dave. 
And as everything had been finished up that we needed to be done, we were leaving the house. And as I walked out the door and closed that front door, um, I saw a sign, a plaque, that was on Cindy's front door right outside the porch there. How many of you know Cindy liked signs and plaques and knickknacks and (laughs) all kinds of things like that, didn't she? Well, she had several of them there, but there was one that drew my attention. I looked at it. I I saw a sign on her front door that said this. Hope is on the horizon. Hope is on the horizon. I thought, how appropriate is that, right? We are grieving. We are saying goodbye But hope is on the horizon. You know, for Cindy, it's no longer hope, is it? Now, there's parts of it that are still hope for her. She has not yet received her resurrected body. She hasn't inherited the new earth yet. But she has gone to another level of life, hasn't she? Eternal life. Which you and I have right now by faith. But she is experiencing it in a profoundly enhanced way, isn't she? And I saw that, I thought, that's what it's all about right there. Hope is on the horizon. I thought, that's what we're going to focus on this Christmas season. I know Cindy loved Christmas. She really loved Christmas Eve, didn't she? So let's give thanks then for the hope that she had, the hope that we have, and the hope that the Christmas season represents Why do we have this hope? Because God took on human flesh, was born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life for us, perfect righteousness and obedience to the law of God, fulfilled it everything that God requires. He fulfilled it for us. He went to the cross He was punished for our sins. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. And when we put our trust and confidence in him, in his life, and what he did for us, in his death, for our sin, and in his resurrection, we too will rise with him. We're forgiven for our sins through trust in him. We are given eternal life, and we will rise with him. This is our hope. That was Cindy's hope. That's our hope. And Christmas, then, is a celebration of the birth of our Savior who brought us that hope. So for today, then, eternal life. Christmas is hope on the horizon. We'll be looking at our text here is John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. And here is the key thought that I want us to take away from the message here today. And that is, Jesus gives eternal life to all who believe in him. And no one will ever snatch them out of his hand. That if your trust is in Jesus Christ, right now you have eternal life. And no one can ever take that away from you. No one can ever take you out of his hand. That is our hope. 
before we look at our text in John chapter 10, a little context here. You know, over the many years of the the people of Israel, uh, God had sent them shepherds. They were to be spiritual caretakers for God's people. They were to be the, the spiritual leaders of God's people who would care for God's people. They were to be shepherds of God's people. Now, what did a shepherd do for the sheep? The shepherd would watch over and care for the sheep, right? He would lead them into the place where they could get food and water. He would make sure that they were well-fed. He would watch out. He would protect them from wild animals, from wolves that would threaten them. He would bring them to a place of rest. He would lead them where they should go. And what an apt metaphor that is then for God as our shepherd. What David said, the Lord is my shepherd. What was David's job as a boy? He was a shepherd, right? And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. So God would give his people shepherds to care for them spiritually, to show them the way they should go, be an example to them to feed them, nurture them spiritually, to watch out for them, to protect them from ravenous wolves, spiritual wolves, who would lead them away from God and God's ways. Well, how well did those shepherds do for the people of Israel that God sent them? Not so well all the time, right? As human beings, they failed Not all of them, but some of them, many of them, they failed God's people. They were not good shepherds at all. They were bad shepherds. And so we see in the book of Ezekiel there, Ezekiel 34, God promises that because the shepherds he gave the people had failed them, they were bad shepherds, he himself would be their shepherd. He would be the good shepherd who would care for his people. He himself would be their shepherd. Well, in John chapter 10, Jesus said what? I am the, what? The good shepherd. Jesus fulfills that prophecy when he was born into this world and he himself became the shepherd of his own people, the good shepherd He was the promised good shepherd. And he tells us that he would give his life. He wasn't like one of the hired hands that would run at the first sign of trouble. He was there for them. In fact, he promised he would lay down his life for the sheep and that he would give them life, eternal life. Let's look at John chapter 10, starting at verse 22 then. We're told, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews, the religious leaders, they gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We're going to look at what the sheep are. Who are the sheep? The sheep are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we learn about the sheep and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for the sheep in this passage here? Well, first off, we see that the sheep, the sheep believe in Jesus. They've put their trust in him. Beginning of the passage there, we're, time, we're told that it was the Feast of Dedication, that it was the time of the Feast of Dedication. Now, did you know that the Feast of Dedication is still celebrated today? But you probably just know it by a different name. What name does that go by today? I'll give you a hint. It starts with an H or sometimes a C, depending on how it's spelled, right? It's Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah, also sometimes called the Festival of Lights, which coincidentally begins this evening at sunset. As things would have it here, we're reading about it here, it is in fact the time of Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, right now, here today. So what was this Feast of Dedication? What is Hanukkah? What is it remembering or celebrating? Well, goes back some, this is again at the beginning of the first century A.D. here now, the time of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's about 168 years before, 168 B.C., there was a Syrian general by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes uh, who conquered the Jewish people, and uh, he went into the temple complex and he did something there that is known as the abomination of desolation, where he took a pig. Now, if you know your, your Judaism and you know that, that pigs are not clean animals, and we take the pig, and what did he do? He sacrificed it at the altar in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Pretty brazen thing, blasphemous thing to do, isn't it? It's called the abomination of desolation. So that had occurred while there rose up a Jewish revolutionary by the name of Judas Maccabeus, who ended up uh, pushing them out of Jerusalem, freeing God's people then from them. And in 165 BC then, uh, there was a re-consecration or dedication of the temple. And the story is, is that there was oil there. They didn't have much oil to burn in the menorah for the lights there. They didn't have much oil, but it miraculously burned then for eight days. And so that's where you see the menorah with all the lights in there. And this is the Festival of Lights, was recognizing that miracle then and celebrating that, uh, their freedom that had been gained at that time. So that's what the Feast of Dedication was about. And there is Jesus there, 
And then we're told that the Jews, and oftentimes in Scripture when we see the Jews, it's referring to what? The Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the the priests. And so they were gathered around him. Now, had Jesus revealed the truth about himself, who he was as Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one? Yes, he had. In that culture, in that time, he had made that very clear who he was, that he was, in fact, the Christ, not only through the things that he said, but also through the things that he did, the miracles. The miracles that Jesus did, remember there were many purposes that Jesus had in the miracles he performed, but one of them was to fulfill prophecy and to reveal his identity as the Messiah, that the scriptures had prophesied that Messiah would do these signs and wonders. So Jesus had made it clear who he was, that he was indeed the Messiah. But also, though, he had made it clear that he was more than a man, (laughs) that he was God as well, and that got him into a little bit of trouble then, didn't it? But here then, they come to him and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly. Now, who should have recognized very clearly who he was by the things he said, by the things he did? Should have been them, right? But they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly. They should have been the ones who recognized most of all, and yet they didn't see, they couldn't see. Why? Because of the condition of their hearts. How many of you know that sometimes you can explain things very clearly to people and they just don't see it, they just don't get it because of a heart issue, right? So they said, when we don't keep us in suspense, tell us plainly, what, are you the Christ? Are you the promised one? And Jesus said, what? I told you and you do not believe. And he also says, what? The works I do bear witness about me. He says, look, I have told you. But don't just take my word for it. Look at the works that I have done. These things testify to the fact that he is the Christ, the promised one. Remember we had looked before, uh, previously, at the story there of, of Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee, wasn't he? And he came to Jesus and he said, what, teacher, we know, you know, that the, the, we've seen the works that you're doing, and you can't do these. It wasn't all of them, was it? Not all of the Pharisees rejected Jesus. So he says, I've told you, you've seen the things, these things witness, but you don't believe, Jesus says, what, because you are not among my sheep. In other words, they weren't his sheep, so they did not hear him, and they did not believe Who are the sheep? The sheep are the ones who believe. But you are not among my sheep, so you can't see it. You can't see the truth. Now, I know we could get into some debate here, which we're not going to do today, about, again, that that age-old question about God's sovereignty and, and, and the human will, human freedom, human responsibility, and how do we understand all that. Again, you know, we'll solve that next week. Okay, we won't next week either, okay? But he said, what? They were not among the sheep, and that's why they didn't believe and didn't hear his voice. 
And before you want to just write it all off then to God's sovereignty, I just want to remind you that yes, God, the scriptures speak of God's sovereignty, but they also very clearly speak of human responsibility, don't they? Their hearts were hard and cold toward him. So he, they were not his sheep. You don't believe because you are not my sheep. So the sheep, though, they do believe in Jesus. Says what? And they also, they hear his voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. If you're a believer in Jesus, you heard the voice of Christ call to you, didn't you? And you still hear him speak to you, don't you? The sheep hear his voice. You know, um, I've been asked sometimes, you know, well, why do you believe? Why are you a follower of Christ? I can say, well, you know, there are many reasons I can give. There are many reasons why I believe. But in the end, though, and then they're all good, they're all important. I can talk to you about the resurrection, the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, about fulfilled prophecy in Scripture, philosophical arguments that there must be an unmoved mover, an uncaused, you know, all kinds of things. I can point to those things, reliability of Scripture and so forth. But in the end, and all those are important, but in the end, do you know what it really comes down to? I hear his voice. Now, I did not say I hear voices. That's a different thing, okay? I hear his voice. And if you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The sheep hear his voice. He calls thus to himself. Sheep hear his voice. And he says, I know them. Know is what? That's personal. That's a relationship. Jesus is not an abstract concept to you as a believer, is he? He's not a set of ethical principles. He's not a great moral teacher and prophet. He is those things. But that's not all he is, is he? He is the Savior that you know, the way you know a dear friend. The sheep believe in Jesus. The sheep hear his voice, and he knows them. And then Jesus says, because they hear hear my voice, and I know them, they follow him, follow Jesus. In other words, what? We hear him, we follow him, we obey. To follow Jesus is to obey him. Now, I have to tell you, I do not perfectly obey Jesus every moment of every day. I wish I did. (laughs) Does anyone here perfectly obey Jesus every day? But if we never obey Jesus, do we truly know him? Are we truly his followers? No. So the sheep believe in Jesus, hear his voice, follow him, imitate him, oh, grow into him, become like him. And Jesus says the sheep have eternal life. He says, I give them eternal life. I want you to know eternal life is not if you're a believer in Christ eternal life is not something you're going to receive it's something you already have right now are you experiencing it in its fullness right now no but you have it right now it's like being given a great inheritance 
the account is in, the, 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 the funds have been deposited in your account, but they're not available to withdraw at the moment. But they're yours, and it's right there. And one day, when you get to, let's say you're given a trust fund, right? At a certain point, you now have full access to that. The same way these things that we have in Christ, it's all yours right now. But you do not yet fully experience it all. But you will. You're not going to have eternal life. You have eternal life right now. You have eternal life you know, I saw something uh, earlier this week. Um, it was a, a news special Jane Pauley was doing. Uh, she was talking about this, this quest for, for life, eternal life, that people want to live forever. And was talking about the lengths that sometimes people will go to to try to maintain their lives. And including one is this thing called cryogenics. How many of you are familiar with cryogenics? That means that uh, basically it's putting your body... And if not your body, at least your head, okay, sometimes it's just the head. It's put in a deep freeze. Why? Why would people do that? Because the idea, first off, there's a philosophical assumption there. The underlying philosophical assumption behind cryogenics is this. Life, your life, who you are as a human being, your personality, all that makes you, you, all of that is fundamentally a process of matter, of material, of the brain. Okay? There is no soul or spirit, but you are, you are your body. Right? You're what we would call the soul or the spirit. Well, that's not, that, that's not, that's an illusion. Your consciousness and yourself, that's a function of the matter that makes up, it's that gray matter. We even call it gray matter, don't we? It's the gray matter in your head. So why do people freeze this thing, freeze their bodies, freeze their heads? Because the thought is, is, well, maybe someday we'll have the technology, the human race will have the technology to be able to bring you back and reanimate you so that you'll still be alive now. Maybe you have some sickness or disease. Well, maybe we'll have the ability in the future to cure that disease. Maybe we can even put your brain inside of a robot body. That's the idea behind cryogenics. So here are people that are so desperate to live forever that they put their bodies, they sign their bodies over when they die to a cryogenics lab to hold them in the deep freeze until our technology catches up. Again, what's the assumption? You are your brain. Well, we certainly as believers believe in the brain, don't we? We believe in the body. But we are more than just matter, more than just a body, aren't we? We're spirit. But you right now have eternal life. And I guarantee you the eternal life that you have in Jesus is better than any kind of life that you would have being taken out of the deep freeze. Guarantee you that. So you have eternal life. And in fact, you will never perish. You will never perish. That is an emphatic no, not ever, no way, no how, nuh-uh. My sheep hear my voice. They, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never, no way, no how, uh-uh, no way will they ever perish. Perish. 
Now, wait a minute. Jesus said we won't perish, but we all die. We're grieving a loss here in our church family. What do you mean? What do you mean you won't perish? Well, because when Scripture speaks of perishing, it's not talking about the death of the body. What's it talking about? It's talking about the death, the judgment of the soul, of the spirit. We will never perish. We will never come under God's judgment or condemnation. You will never perish. Now, you and I will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, but it's not a judgment for our sins, is it? That's already been done in Christ. But it's going to be an evaluation of our lives for the purpose of what? Reward. To reward. But we will never face judgment, condemnation. Christ took it all for you, for me. You will never, no way, no how, ever perish. And by the way, no one can ever take you out of his hand. You are secure. The Father has given you to Christ No one is able to snatch them out of Christ's hand. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You are forever secure in God's hands. You are forever secure in God's hands. People ask, do you believe in eternal security? Yes, I do. And by that, I mean if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, God is going to hold on to you and keep you and nothing will prevent him from completing the great work of redemption he has begun in you because no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Jesus goes on to say that uh, I and the Father are one. That got him into big trouble because they recognized what he was saying. Jesus was not saying that he and the Father are the same person. They're not the same person. They're two persons. They said, what, we are one, what, we are one in essence and one in purpose. If you go on to read the text there, we see they recognized that he was making a claim to be God when he said that. They rightly understood that. Notice what it goes on to say. Verse 13 says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him when he said, I and the Father are one. They recognized that he was calling himself God. And said, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They got it, right? Was Jesus a man? Yes, he was. He was also God. See, and this is why you and I, can rejoice and take hope here today. Jesus is God. (laughs) And he said, my sheep have eternal life. You have eternal life. You will never, no way, no how perish. And you cannot be snatched from my hand. You are forever secure in Christ. So what? I'd remind us where we started. Jesus gives eternal life to all who believe in him, and no one will ever snatch them out of his hand. Now, as you're thinking about Christmas, maybe you're thinking about 
It's time to start thinking about Christmas shopping and gifts and what you're going to give people. I want to tell you, you may, you may have a wonderful gift that you come up to give some. You may receive a wonderful gift, but I guarantee you, you will never receive a greater gift than what you have right now in Christ. There has never been a greater gift than the gift of the Son that the Father gave to you in giving His Son. Eternal life. You have it right now, and it can never be taken from you. For that, we give thanks. We give praise. We want to share that hope with others then, don't we? So have you believed in Christ? In Scripture, to believe means to trust, put your confidence in. Have you turned away from any self-reliance or my good works or this or that? And said, I trust in what Jesus did for me. You believed in Christ. And if you have, give thanks, give praise, and share it, proclaim it with others. That is the good news that we celebrate this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have eternal life. This is not something that we're going to inherit someday. It is ours right now. And yes, we will experience it more fully in the future. But we thank you that we have it right now. We thank you that our beloved sister Cindy had that hope. We thank you that she had and she has eternal life. That she is now beholding you face to face. She is singing in that heavenly choir. And we know that we will see her again, Lord. Thank you that you give the gift of eternal life to all who trust in you, all who believe in you. Lord, may we hear your voice clearly and follow you more nearly, Lord. May we give thanks and praise. May we share that good news with others. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.